Thank you for listening to the Starburns Audio Podcast Network. We have so many great comedy shows to add to your playlist. Just last week on Starburns Audio, on New Player Has Joined, Keith and Jesse talked to Dr. Christopher Hale about getting involved with the Sister District Project. They also discuss fascism and gaming and Echo the Dolphin. On The Boogie Monster, Dave Stone and Kyle Kinane talk about exploration and treasure hunting, the protests, and redefining policing. On Office Hours Live, Tim Heidecker, DJ Doug Pound, and Vic Berger are joined by Thundercat and Z from Black Socialists in America. Listen to this episode to find out how you can help Office Hours raise funds for the Black Lives Matter Global Fund. Search Starburns Audio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast platform for a full list of our shows. Featuring hosts like Monet Exchange, Bob the Drag Queen, and Amanda Seals. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Starburns Audio. Enjoy the show. And remember, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep laughing. Till the tears run down from my eyes, Lord, somebody, ooh, somebody, can anybody find me? Alexa, play hits from Queen. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Feral Audio. Hey, what's up, psychopaths? <laughs> I'm back. It's Steve Ag, and you're listening to a new episode of uh, uh The date today, I'm scrambling to find my phone, is March 30th. Uh, it's been uh, maybe a month since... Uh, I did a podcast. I've been out of town. That's the only reason why um, I haven't done a podcast in a while. I've been working on a movie uh, out of state. Really all I'm allowed to say. Oh, shit. And um, so I really didn't have access. I didn't have any of my recording stuff really didn't feel like recording anything on an iPhone, so uh, I just kind of let it go for a few weeks. But now I'm back, and I've got a great um, great new episode with uh, my good friend Mary Lynn Rice Cub, who you may know from uh, 24. She plays Chloe O'Brien in the critically acclaimed TV series 24. Um... You may know her as Gail the Snail on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You may know her as Adam Sandler's um, overbearing sister in Punch Drunk Love. Um, uh, More recently, you may have seen her on Brooklyn Nine-Nine as uh, I believe it's Joe Latrulio's girlfriend. Um, 
She's got a lot of credits. I could go. I could go even further. I can go deeper. Safety not guaranteed. Kings of Summer. Little Miss Sunshine. I'm not even looking this up. I'm not looking at a computer right now. This is just shit that I know about Mary Lynn Rice Cub. I know she's in a deleted scene on <laughs> the DVD of Magnolia. And it, I don't know if it's a deleted scene as much as a blooper. It's really funny. If you can find it on the uh, DVD, I, I just, and that just hit me. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. I remember my friend Scott showed it to me. This really funny, these outtakes, repeated outtakes of uh, Tom Cruise and Mary Lynn um, continually breaking while Tom's trying to do a, a scene where he's crying. And it's really funny. Really funny. Look it up. I'm not a liar. <laughs> Um, uh, I'll even plug some shit for Mary Lynn. I did look at her website earlier. She's going to be at the Laughing Skull Lounge in Atlanta, Georgia, May 5th through May 8th. How about that, Mary Lynn? I didn't even, uh, uh, let you know I was going to be plugging your shit, but there you go. Um, uh, if you're in the Atlanta area or somewhere in the South that you have quick access to Atlanta, Go see Marilyn. She's very, 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 very funny. And um, Marilyn and I have been trying to figure out a way to do a tour together. We haven't figured it out yet. I don't think we've tried very hard because I think we could probably make it happen. <laughs> so let's make that happen, MLR. Um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, as far as me, a person... Uh, what's going on with me right now? I've got some shows coming up uh, next month, and just like in two weeks, I'm going to be at the Punchline in San Francisco, um, Wednesday, April 13th through Saturday the 16th, with my friend John Dore. He will be headlining. I will be middling for him. Um, it's a fun venue. I love doing shows in San Francisco. I'm up there about twice a year, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't seen John in a while, um, and I think he's super funny. So if you're in the San Francisco area, please come out to the Punchline, April 13th through the 16th. Uh, what else? I don't know if I have anything else to say. We should just jump into this episode. Um, uh, Mary Lynn and I talk about uh stand up touring we talk about um auditioning which oddly enough right after uh we recorded this yesterday uh i had an audition i had to cut the recording of this episode short because i had to run to an audition and as soon as we finished marilyn was kind enough to um go over my lines with me a few times before i went to the audition and as I was just texting with her, totally helped me. I totally killed the audition and I would not have had I just gone in there cold without, I really hadn't gone over it at all. And Mary Lynn was very insistent upon um, reading with me. She's like, let's just read it before you go over there. Let's read it. And I was like, no, you don't have to. It's just short. It's four pages. She's like, let's read it. And we did. And, um, totally helped. I did my lines and it wasn't like 
It wasn't like a comedy audition either. It was more dramatic. And uh, thank God Mary Lynn made me do that because I went in there and had a great audition, the casting director. <laughs> it was almost... Uh, what the fuck is this shit? It was almost like uh, a scene out of a movie where the casting director was overreacting almost to my audition where I finished and I looked up and she was just wide-eyed. She's like, wow, that was awesome. Like, <laughs> like she had just watched, uh, you know, De Niro deliver a dramatic monologue. <laughs> I was nowhere near that good, but that's what it felt like. I felt good after I did this audition. And why am I fucking talking about this? Let's get into the episode right now uh, with Mary Lynn Rice Cub. Uh, I hope you enjoy it, and we have many more coming up. I don't plan on being out of town nearly as long as I just was. So thanks for your patience. Enjoy the episode, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. I mean, I'm not having any expectations like, I don't think, oh, it's going to be great. But I feel like my experience is on the road as of late. And I know that's only six shows a weekend, but it's like... That's a lot. I feel like if I've made it through some of the things that I've made it through, that it'll just Have be a different... Have you had some bad shows? Yeah. I mean, I've just had, like, just weird shit. Even recently. Yeah. Even, even during the middle of a good show, like, clapping me up on stage. I mean, this was just a week ago. A guy right in the front in Peoria, it's half full, and you know what I mean? You're just traveling like, what? And I just, my energy, I'm like, I have no desire to do it. I've given up. I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Kind of angry, kind of depressed, and yeah. I end up having the best show because I've worked my material, so my material is there, and I don't care. And once you get on stage and it's you, you have to do something, and it kicks in, right? So the guy in the front is like sitting like this, and I'm like, you can't even clap. I, I open. This is how I open. You can't even. I don't even say hi. I'm like, you can't even clap me on stage. He's like, impress me. Oh. And so fuck. my next, you know, five six minutes were directly towards him. And then for the rest of the show, it was just all me talking and then turning to him. Was that good enough? You know, it's just like, but it was kind of fun too, because I'm just like, fuck. Like I could give a fuck, dude. And that made it great because I was just like. Let me see. I got on a plane and fucking came to Peoria. Does that does that impress you? We're recording. Um, um, yeah, my best shows are I don't usually. Want that. I don't. I like that you didn't start, but I don't like that line. It was that was at the pinnacle. If you got the couple sentences before that, you can't open on me. No, we did. Me. Uh, no, we have like, like the, a whole, maniac. the whole thing. All right, let me calm down. Remember when you did <laughs> my and Brendan's show at the Improv, and there was that guy up front? Yeah. And, like, everyone... I think I got lucky, and I went up... Maybe I went up early, but, like... Yeah. I just didn't even acknowledge him. Yes. Brendan yes. then went up and then immediately made his whole set about that guy. Right. Which just fucking gives that person more energy and power, and we're all sitting in the back going, "Don't, don't, don't acknowledge him." Don't. And that's fucking... a different scenario because, yeah, you did exactly the right thing, but there's such a combination of. It's so weird because your guys's show, your guys's that's official American English. Um, <laughs> you, 
it I was just so surprised at how many people your show's so specific yeah. and it's so groovy that you just it's meant to be that loose was our first show and I think playful. In the improv. yeah that's why but even so it's like who are these people in the audience that don't these are people who didn't know what the show was they didn't were... know but why are they there and then they weren't you I think your instinct and I'm not saying Brendan's but your your instinct of like you know what this is just sticking with what the show is you know because that guy wasn't he never got any better no but do you remember what you did what did I do you started fucking <laughs> screaming at him do you not remember that like say his name was George like we established that by Brendan talking to him and you went up and he was talking and you just you just go Shut the fuck <laughs> up, George! You fucking... For like three minutes, you fucking cursed this guy out. The audience loved it. We in the back of the room loved it. But I have never seen you raise your voice in my life. Well, you know, I like that we're getting into it at this angle. You know, there's always a new way to talk about comedy. But I, yeah. um, I've discovered that going on the road... It's brought out like this maniac in me, which I don't think is a bad thing. I mean, I think it's a slippery slope, especially for some people. You definitely don't want to like cater to that. And but for me, because my nature was so I came from another place where for so many years I was in the room with people who were already of that mindset and it kind of appreciated me. And it was my friends and musicians and, and people who were like, yeah, like mumble, switch subjects, don't know what you're going to say, you yeah. know? And, and I just yeah. feel like it, the, it was the crowd way back when was just more, it was a more, you know, arty. Well, like Largo, you're talking about Largo yeah. specifically. And, you know, that thing that I always shunned way back when, which was the traditional comedy club circuit, which I still think that whole six shows a weekend, oh. it's not a good format. But I will say it's really trained me to not that swearing at a person. But for me, it's a good thing just because I know I've worked so hard on my comedy that I know I've shortened stuff and that I've directed it to people and I've made it like an entertainment. So I'm not just yeah. being like obtuse or, you know. It makes you a better comedian even if you're enjoying yourself or not, you know, like – if I were to just stay in L.A. and not go out, and I don't do the road especially as much as you do, but if if I just stay in L.A., you know, there's only a finite number of shows you can do here. Right. So I, will I won't even do six shows in a month if I'm just staying in L.A. Yeah. But, you know, I'm going to San Francisco in like three weeks with John Doerr to do shows at the Punchline. That'll be fun. And it was ex almost exactly a year ago I was there with Kyle Dunnigan. And it was great to do six shows, even though three shows into the run, I was fucking ready to just... Kyle and I would both, we'd be walking around San Francisco because you have nothing to do all day. <laughs> and we did a show Wednesday and Thursday, and we were just starting Friday, and we were both like, I can't believe we have to do two shows tonight. Yeah. And two, and two tomorrow. We're not even halfway done, and we've been here three days. Yeah, it really mentally does something to you, and I never understood that Yeah, like I do now. And going back to 
yelling at the audience. It's it's only because you know there's a few things at play. One, I, you yeah. know, I'm yeah. not that type of person, but it's kind of cool to unearth that in me because it's there. It was just, but the the reason why I feel like I can do that is because I've worked my material so yeah. much that I'm like, I already know I have funny stuff. You know what I mean? Because I kind of forced myself to rise to the challenge of being on the road and i've had those great shows where i know that stuff has hit it and hit it and hit it and hit it yeah and had those experiences of like wait what like there's oh. exactly that like two shows tonight and and so many times i've i'm like just look at what's right ahead of you because if i think that i have two shows tonight and two shows the next night you know it's like i can't and then maybe a sunday show that's just like, and you're by, I'm by myself, and it's That's just. That's the main reason I don't go out unless I, I go with there, somebody. I, I started going to the gym. It was the gym and House of Cards, like, and I'm not usually. Oh, watching House. Yeah, of watching Cards. House of Cards, and I would have a, a palpable like, oh, I miss you guys. Like I would just turn it off and be like, where where are they? <laughs> and I would and I became that person who would I would go to the gym. And I would have a stretch of, you know, do you sightsee four like hours. in a town? Do you yeah, like... I have. But even that becomes—it's all a psychological. Sometimes even sightseeing, you're like, okay. So I looked at stuff, you know. <laughs> That's one reason I haven't ever just set out and booked a, you know, months worth of shows. Is I is my depression, and I get very easily depressed, especially when I'm by myself. And like I could go do San Francisco, no problem, or Portland or New yeah. York, like cities that I know or where there's people I know. But it's like shit like yeah. Peoria. What the fuck am I going to do in Peoria for four days? I feel like a changed person. I was only gone for 10 days, which is a long time. I didn't come home in between because I had an off day and then I had two weekends. But when I came home, I was like, things were different. Yeah, I wish I would have done some more journaling about it. But uh... well, it's not just that amount of time. You've, I mean, you're on the road all the time. Yeah. I mean, it se at least from your Instagram, it seems like you're on the road all the time. I've been doing it a lot, and the weird thing is, so many people still don't, don't know I do comedy. My I was just saying that to somebody the other day, and my manager's like, "Someday, maybe we'll get a Netflix." And I'm like, I don't even like. I'm so I I can't. I don't. I have no interest in pitching myself. Yeah, like, t tell them what the show's gonna be. It's like I. I don't know. I. I don't know. I do stand up every week. Yeah, I fucking just the other day was saying to somebody like, I have friends that I'm convinced don't know I do stand up. <laughs> like good friends. I have friends that have. Ne I know have never seen me. I think they know that I do stand up. They're like, oh, I gotta come see you sometime. So where do you have these friends from? See, I feel like I only know you from stand-up. But like, and by the yeah, way, that I, I feel I like I'm, I'm sounding complainy, but like, because no, I know no, I can do it myself, but it's I just all haven't. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I think I probably met you for the first time in a green room somewhere. But like I remember, like years. I think Sarah's show might even have been over, and I was in a green room with Patton, and he was like, "I didn't know you did stand-up." It's like fuck, man. That's a bummer. That really hurts, you know. And we have the same manager. No way. 
So, I mean, it's How just... have you not done shows with Patton? I have. <laughs> I mean, since. <laughs> it's like that first, like, oh, I know you from Sarah Silverman's show. I guess I can see that. And I don't tour, so... I don't know. It's weird. And I, and I, but I also don't like invite my friends to shows. I know. Because there's nothing worse than doing, having to headline a show and then also worry about texts from your friends going, hey, my name's not at the door. <laughs> hey, where do we park? Like, I don't want to hear any of that shit. I'll turn my phone off like an hour before a show because I don't want my friends going, am I on the list? Where is this place? What kind of friends do you have? Who are these friends? Pat Oswald. <laughs> <laughs> but when, it, like, when we do baked, when Brendan and I do baked, you know, I'll, I'll always do like a, a Facebook invite because that's, you know, I mean, this is part of the deal, just to let people know you're doing the show. And when it comes time to like select all the people to invite to the show, I never invite comedians because a they never go. They're usually doing shows. Right. Because I fucking almost never go to I know. a comedy show. I know. And I feel like if you're a comedian, you kind of are aware of the shows. I don't know. It wouldn't hurt every once in a while to tell people. Because yeah. they'd probably be like, oh, yeah, I've been wanting to go to that. And sometimes, I, sometimes I'm bored. and I, I just like comedy. So I like hanging out in the green room. I have no life. <laughs> I don't remember where we. Do you remember? I always like that about you, though, because I I remember you hanging out a lot, and I just thought that was so cool because you're just around the thing that you like. It's such a simple thing it's that a lot same, of, that eludes a lot of people. You know, it's the people same, that are like, "How do I get into this thing?" Um, just, just go to the thing that you like. It seems harder than it. Than if you want to be a comedian, you gotta go to shows. You gotta watch shows and. But I'll, it's the same way with, like, acting stuff. I'll visit. Even, you know, when I'm working on a show, I'll still go to set even days when I'm not shooting. Cause really? I feel like a fucking 11-year-old kid every time I walk on a set. Even, like, when I'm working on something, I walk in and I'm just like, holy shit, this is so cool. Look at that. Fake trees. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I never get tired of it. I've gotten tired of it. <laughs> you I didn't visit like, the set too. of 24 every day you weren't working? No. Did you audition for 24? Yes. How was the audition? I'm only going to give one word answers. I haven't told you the story before. I guess we I don't think I, I know. I guess we haven't podcasted one on one. Um <laughs> I feel like I've said this story a bunch of times, but it's a good one. I the uh I I didn't really audition for dramas at yeah. the time. And my agent called me in for 24 and I said, I, did you ever have that where you go in for a drama and it's just the energy is off? Okay, I, I have an audition right after this podcast for a drama and I'm not looking forward to it at all. Because, I mean, it really is. I, and at that time, I pr probably would be would be better now, but at that time, I was just more out of my mind. So I was just like, hey, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Not even making jokes, but just the anxiety. Weird I would energy, act, yeah, yeah weird, weird up energy that works in a comedy room. Yeah. Because people are like, she's a weirdo. We like that. But for a drama, they're just like, we don't know what you're doing. 
and yeah. it's and it's not interesting to us. And uh, I I had a really bad audition. I don't even think my acting was that bad. I think just my behavior in the room was just threw them off, and yeah. it was whatever. Not that I had to get the part, but I just felt that awful bereft. Did feeling. you walk like, out feeling like, well, I'm not doing this. This is yeah. that was a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I felt that way at some commercial auditions. I feel that way at most auditions. And it's weird that usually the auditions where I'm like, fuck, I nailed that. And I never hear another <laughs> word. It's the ones where I'm like, oh, that was terrible. Yeah, you got a call back. What? Do you prepare a lot? It it depends on the parts. Right. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Do you? I've gotten better at do you, Like, preparing. do you memorize? I've gotten a lot better at memorizing kind of similar to the comedy i feel like i have more respect for it now than i did and not that i didn't respect it i was just out of my mind like i just didn't know you know and you have that comedian thing where you want it to be fresh and you want it to be in the moment it's not that i i just didn't have the right skill set or mindset yeah i mean i didn't even know i would wear like thrift store t-shirts you know and Maybe not shower. <laughs> I, I just had no concept of how I, I got lucky yeah. t- to be cast and stuff. And I would ne- I would almost never memorize it, and I would always have the paper, and I would just riff. Like Part of that was the challenge, I think, so that my anxiety level would raise my energy, and yeah. then the challenge would be to try to – and now it's like – you don't you don't have to be on this like tightrope act. Yeah. Because that's how I used to perform too, is either yeah. all or nothing, you know? Sure. I would get like tired before I went out and then like, oh, I have to go on stage. And so it would be this like <laughs> I'm on stage. I would that would yeah. be the only way I could get yeah, I, I had no skills really. So right. it comes down to. Uh, so anyway, okay, twenty four audition, um bad CSI audition or whatever, my agent calls me. They really want to see you for twenty four. Really? Yeah. Okay, so I go in there. Joel Cerno, the creator, meets me in the hallway. Um, at your first audition? For 24. The creator was at your first audition? Yes. Wow. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. But It's looking, usually just you and the casting director and a video camera. I think he, well, I mean, he said as much. He, they had already decided they wanted to hire me, but I didn't believe them. It was just one of those great experiences. And I did not take that for granted at all because he met me in the hallway and he was like, hey, we think you're great. I want to write a part for you. He had seen me in Punch Drunk Love Mm -hmm. where I played a bitchy overbearing sister to Adam Sandler. And then we got into the room and a couple of the other producers, writers were there. And on the page, it was just no Jack, yes Jack type of – there was really no dialogue. There was really No computer tech stuff? No. I think they just had an idea. It was a formality? I think no, I th- it, it just wasn't written yet. I mean, th- it, they were casting, but they just and they knew they needed a um, computer. You know, the, the, the just that turnover of yeah. um, what's it called? I almost forgot of CTU that year. Okay, we need yeah. this tech person this year. Yeah, we don't have the we don't. She's not in a scene yet, so they. I I don't know. I feel like it was like a fake scene. You know, like they wrote the dialogue. Like, yeah, the and night he before. and he said, you know. There's, there's nothing on the page. Uh, kind of apologized for that. And I was like, I, better for me, you know? And then, yeah. but I want to write a part for you. We think you're great. And we kind of talked. And I remember oh, he actually brought that. up John Bryan. He goes, oh, what, you guys are a couple? Oh, this is amazing. And I was just, I mean, I was like shell-shocked. because. Were I, you dating John at the time? I think it was a little 
after or uh, we had just broken up or something like that yeah because it was around that time it was like 2001 or something that long ago oh yeah jesus i mean that show's Christ. been on the air for the nine season and then there's like the writer's strike and then we went off the air for t- two years and came back so it's been a long 2000 fuck because we would shoot 10 months out of the year yeah it's 24 episodes yeah and I started in season three, so they had already been on the air. I don't know what year they started yeah. properly. Um, but yeah, it was like the nicest experience. And swear to God, in that moment, I was like, this is great. Do you ever have those things where you're like, I don't even, I don't expect to get it. I don't care if I get it. You've just validated me. You've validated me to go on for another whatever in this business just by virtue that you're a creator of the show and you like me and you've seen me i'm like great you you and because I, I believed yeah. him you want to write part i didn't i didn't believe that it would necessarily work out yeah nothing puts you at ease more i remember going to audition for the office for allison jones who's like the biggest comedy casting director and i was so fucking nervous and this was right during the second season of sarah show i was sitting in the hall I was just like my legs were shaking like I couldn't stop tapping my feet and and she came out to I think go use the bathroom or something she saw me and I'd never met her she's so I didn't know that was her and she's like oh my god she goes I'm such a huge fan of yours and uh she's like I'm Allison and uh and immediately I was just like I felt so fucking relaxed. That's so great. I auditioned and she's like, you're totally wrong for this. She's like, but I'll find, I swear to God, I'll find something for you. And she still hasn't. It's like 10 years later. She still hasn't, but, but it, uh, yeah, there's nothing better than going into a room where the people know who you are. It's the best. Like I've had situations where I've been sitting in a waiting room for an audition. It's like, and you get to know like all the people who are auditioning for your type yeah who's you know who's so i'm there type? and it's like matt besser will be in there and you know like a bunch of ucb people seth morris and then and so you're sitting there going well I, eddie pepitone will be there and i'm like maybe i'll get this probably won't and uh which also kind of puts you at ease too you're like yeah. well they're gonna know what they want and and then the assistant will come out and go uh eddie they're ready to see you now so you're still sitting there looking at your sides. They walk over and you hear Eddie go into the room and you hear, you hear everyone in the room go, hey, Eddie. <laughs> and they're like laughing and he's like, hey. And and then he's done and then they come and they're like, all right, Steve, they're ready to see you now. And they open the door and it's just fucking silent. They're like, hello. All right, I'll be reading with you. And it's the most formal. You're like, um, that's fucking horrible. I went to audition for a pilot once, a Tom Papa pilot. This was like two years ago, and it was the same way. It was like all these character actors in the in the waiting room that I was like, oh, fucking he'll get it or he'll get it. And I, I didn't feel like I had a chance. I felt like I was wrong for it anyway, but I walked into the room, and it was like I knew all the producers, you know, the direct, everybody, and so I said, hey, can you guys do me a huge favor? When I leave... <laughs> Can you all laugh really loud and like be really happy and loud and like pleasant to me? And they're just like, uh, all right. And so as soon as I finished, they walked out. They're like, all right, Steve, great, thanks for coming. And I, and I walked out. 
and just everyone was kind of glaring at me. <laughs> you got him. And I didn't get the part, but so many mind fucks with auditioning. Yeah, now I'm in a weird position where obviously not ever, there's still people that don't know me. Like I never auditioned for movies. I but then on the other hand, there's people that I I'm a known. You know, it's like I don't. But known for a drama. Well, in the comedy world, I mean, I've been guesting on everything. I've been in tons. I'm saying like in the yeah. not, not the public, but like oh, yeah, the yeah. business, talking about knowing casting directors and producers. It's like I, I don't. You've I've already. Do you have I've like, done this? Do you for have like time. your favorite casting directors? Where like you see the email and you're like, oh, good. I don't even know. I'm going anymore. to Felicia, Felicia Fasano, or she's good. Or she's a, a good Susie one. Susie Ferris, or you know. those are all good ones. Probably all the ones that you like, I like. I've also never booked anything through. Should I even say names? Like Jeannie McCarthy, who booked Sarah Silverman show. I I go in all the time, and probably because I have a lot of people like that. Probably that because very she books with. Sarah show, I get called in a lot, but I've never booked anything with them. For years, my reps, and this doesn't happen anymore. This was probably four or five years ago. Um, I think when I changed agents or something, everyone would just throw out. Yeah, this was years ago because it's sort of past that point now. They would be like. You know, we got to get you in the room with a Judd Apatow. We got to get you in that camp. Like they would drop his name as if that was a productive thing to do or an exciting thing to say. And it's like I've known him for going on 20 years and he hasn't hired me. So please don't use that as your buzzword of what you're going to do. Yeah, you're not making me excited (laughs) at all. You're bumming me out, actually. So it's sometimes it's weird when I don't know. So in some ways it's validating for me to go on the road even if it's it's strangely a bit in a vacuum i just did the tonight show i just did stand up on the tonight show when um about a month ago fuck really i I showcased for it how was it it was great it was fantastic but i'll tell you what i feel like i'm complaining so much i'm really letting it out in this room (laughs) nobody even really said anything you know like you mean people afterwards yeah like my reps or anything i mean there were a lot of people that saw it like some you know a few random people but it's i don't know it's It's not what it was it's not what it was it was a huge accomplishment for me because i'd never done a tv stand-up set of that caliber like that yeah that's huge and i'm excited it was a great experience but it's not I don't know if there's so much stuff out there. It's a combo. There's so much stuff out there. It doesn't mean what it used to mean. And also for me, they're looking for that next big acting job. So that's it's not even a lateral. It's just like, oh, you did that. Whereas for another comic, it would be a huge calling card or a step into something, you know? Are you, as far as stand-up, are you... Booking, it was super fun to work on. and Are you booking stand-up through your reps, or are you just kind of doing that on your own? I am. Remember when I called you, and I'm like, we should- I still want to do I do, too, but it, I have a- uh, I do- I want to do that, too, but now I'm gearing up towards the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah. But I do have this fantasy that I want to make a reality of, like, kind of getting out of the club circuit and- yeah. I know people that have done it. Like, we both know people that have done it. It's yeah. been great for them. But like I feel like, I mean, back to people not knowing 
that I even do stand up. Like I feel like my reps want me to act more because that's more where money is. Of course. So like anytime I'm like, I'll talk to Dave and he'll be like, I'll go, you know, I got a lot of time off this summer. I should, why don't we book some dates for me to go out? And he's like, well, you know, actually pilot season's kind of year round now. They've changed it. We kind of need your, I'm like. Oh, no way. He's almost discouraging you from doing stand-up? Yeah, they all want me to just, I don't know. I didn't, Not discouraging, but like. And I, I, you know, I have like scripts. I'm like, hey, maybe we can get me a writing job. And they all seem to just be like, eh, yeah, we'll look into that. It's but like, that's a good thing, I guess. You're a big actor. You're a big actor now. I went in for some uh, drama stuff. Like I've gone in a bunch of times for CSI. Uh-huh. And a number of those different CSI Shows I can't remember the casting director's name now. It's been a while, but like the first time I went in, she yeah I don't have anyone's name at the ready. She specifically was like, "I love comedians." She's like, "I love when comedians come in to audition for drama." She's like, "It's my favorite." She's like, "I'll f-, they all say I'll find something for you," but like I get called in all the time. That's good. They like uh, funny people, funny people doing serious shit. What's what are some of the parts that you've been called in for? Do you remember? It's always like. And you think this guy works at a strip club and you think he's killing strippers. <laughs> but then he it's not him after all. It's like I'm the red herring or whatever. Yeah. And it's it's a lot of that shit. It's a lot of homeless. Nice. Because I play a homeless guy nice. and a new girl. And I've got this fucking beard right now for something else that I'm doing. And It looks incredible. It's, it's got to be really, you just want it off your face, huh? But like all of this past pilot season, everything I would look at, all the breakdowns, I was like, this guy shouldn't have a beard. And I go into every audition, and they'll be like, that was great. Can you shave your beard? When, and, and come back in? No, like if you oh, book oh. it, can you shave your beard? Oh, because you, you can't even. And I'm like, uh, no. I mean, But that's not right. You're being a little dramatic. I guess you can't. You signed a contract, yeah. right? Yeah. But wh- couldn't they, like you said, make one? I think so. Because you got to work. You got to work, Mary Lynn. It's not like that other job is paying for the rest of your life. Or maybe it will, you know what I'm no. saying? No. Maybe not for a while, at least. Um, when's your next... Uh, so you go to Edinburgh. When's that? August, for the month of August. Oof. It's going to be crazy, but like I said, I, I I don't know. I feel like these these this uh, on the road, even though they're you know, consolidated only six shows, but going through that mental, emotional kind of, it'll be interesting to see how I feel after, you know, show is 10. There, is there a purpose for Edinburgh? Like, do people go, like, to get work out of it? Or is it, because I've never understood, like, a month of shows. I mean, like. Oh, why would you do Like, it? I know Sketch Fest is a month long in San Francisco, but. You're usually only there for a weekend, right? Like they fill up. Are a you going to talk me out of doing Edinburgh? No, no, absolutely podcast? not. I think it'll be it'll be great, but um, I've never understood. I'm like, not really. Look, I I've pitched a show with myself. I've done webisode, p- pitched that as a show. I've done a talk show pilot. I've pitched myself in another way, and I don't really. I'm not good at sitting in a room and writing a script. And there's only so hard, many times yeah. you can pitch yourself. Yeah. And again. 
not complaining. I work a lot yeah. and it's great, Yeah. but it's, you know, it's never been anything that I'm like so invested or that yeah. takes up my time, which is okay. Uh-huh. You know, if I, if I had got put into another show after 24, I probably wouldn't have dug into the stand up and the way that I had. Um, like I just did this pilot for Amazon and we're not going until November. So we got the pickup like a couple months ago and we were like, yay. What's and the show? It's called Heisten. Oh, but that's not, that was actually a, that wasn't even a pilot that you did actual episodes of that. We no, we did one episode and they voted on it and they picked it up, but we're not filming them until November. And then when we do film it, it's going to be six. So I have a job. I have a series. It's fantastic. But, uh, the directors are doing a feature and so they're we're just waiting until they're done to shoot right um so it, it actually gave me because i was talking about doing edinburgh and it kind of cleared my schedule in a way where yeah. i couldn't not do it yeah you know if i was like oh sorry i'm on a series i'm not gonna go into this thing that's a lot of you know personal because it's a lot of creative challenge yeah. to do it which, which is why i'm doing it and it's because I've been doing the stand up again in these in these traditional clubs, there's a bit of a disconnect because people will come in and be like, What what's she doing here? And I feel like maybe doing this different route, which I can indulge in the storytelling aspects more because it's more of a one person show. Yeah. You know, which a lot of my stand up is stories anyway. So doing it in this format. I'm hoping will give me like here's my product. That's this. So you doing Edinburgh show. more as like a one person show, like yeah, story but it's stuff? a lot of um, like is there like a theme? I'm kind of the... taking my well, it's all stuff from my life. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to talk about a lot getting pregnant by accident and not liking the baby, and you know, my yeah. husband being a rebound, and that's still a lot of that stuff is still in my act. But this is sort of the next chapter. Of... Wait, are you guys married now? Yeah, we're married and my Congratulations. son. Thank I you thought so you much. guys were still just boyfriend and girlfriend. We got married when our son was a year. Nice. And Val is 7 now. So now it's a, you know, it's just sort of a a deeper story yeah. about relationships yeah. and um a big theme is how hate can actually be love. <laughs> um but it's just taking my stand up and anchoring it, it with with a story. But it still is going to be, you know, funny throughout. Is it hard doing going out on the road and being away from? Yeah, it's from the, the, it's the worst. It's ridiculous. That's because that's one thing I don't like. I don't even have a pet, so I could go. Like I've been out shooting something for a month and a half. I was in Atlanta, and like, did you get depressed? Or no? Cause you had no, people around it, you. You're it busy. was fun, and I was actually renting a house with, you know, one of the other people from the movie. So it was all right, but like. And the guy I was renting with had, like, a wife and kid. So every night, I'd be sitting on the couch, we'd be watching TV, and he'd be like, hey, can you pause it? And then I'd have, and I'd just sit there while he would Skype or FaceTime with his wife and kid, and I'm just sitting there. That kind of made me depressed. Because I, all I had was, I'd call my friend, I'd text my friend Stephanie once a week to go, did you get my mail? And that was it. Did you move my car? I had nothing, like, which is kind of a bummer. That that also makes me depressed, but like. Yeah, what's your relationship status? It's single. Why? I'm, 
I you don't like know. It like I'm that? a. F- I've like been it. single for so long that I'm now afraid of relationships. Oh. Like I'll meet a girl and I'll be like, "What's your dating situation? Like, have you had longer?" Every now and then, I'll I'll sign up on one of those dating apps, really? and then like within like two weeks, I I disconnect it because I'm like, I don't. And also, part of it is I'm a fucking actor and a comedian. I have years where I'll make a quarter of a million dollars. Of years where I'll make. $20,000 and I'm just like I mean I'm projecting but I'm like that's not fair that's not fair to a girl that yeah, I love you know what I mean? I mean I'm the same way um, I'm always like uh, but you are the man so and like I've got money right now so I'm just like yeah, I should go on go a date a lady. I should go on a date right now but then I always am like fast forwarding to like a year from you now where I'm like you can't do that bro I'm like oh she's gonna be so bummed out when it's like yeah, new girl got canceled. You're not, you're not, you're not working anymore. I really just, I really get inside my head now because it's been so long. But you're not. <laughs> I don't even think you would be attracted to that kind of person. That would. I only... wouldn't, but I, I feel like you know when you first meet people, they're kind of not who they. Come on now, don't don't you feel like it's a little ridiculous now that you said that out loud? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just fuck. I'm terrible. Part of it really is I haven't had a girlfriend in so long. Yeah, like I've gone out on dates and stuff. To me, but I haven't had a girlfriend in so long that I'm just like. So what happens after the date? You're just like, okay, see ya later. Yeah, ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what they call it? Where you're just kind of like. I don't know. Is that what they call it? You're the one who's on Snapchat. Fuck, this is embarrassing. Ghost out. Yeah, but the other thing is, like, I know so many people on Tinder. Or, like, these weird dating apps that are, like, I know dudes who are, like, hooking up with all these girls. And I'm, like, I don't want to fucking, there's only a finite amount of girls in L.A. And I don't want to, like, fucking get together with someone who's, like, dated half my friends on a dating (laughs) app. And fucked, like, half my friends on a dating app. I'm, like, that doesn't fucking thrill me. Interesting. I kind of want to meet someone that's not an actor. Because I was that person in my 20s who just dated everybody, and I didn't think about it because I was just nuts. And then, But there's also nothing wrong with that. I don't No, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think as and it makes years sense. go by, because I'm, that's why I said interesting, because you sort of like, you get more sane, but then I see what you're saying. You don't want to be... Also, of that mindset again. now that I'm in my fucking 40s, like I, I, I see red flags immediately. Right. In your 20s. Yeah, it's just a different, you're in a different position In your now. 20s, you will fucking jump into a relationship right. with That's anybody right. who makes out with you. That's right. Anybody. You don't give a shit. Like, oh, she's divorced. She's She's got a kid somewhere. Like, yeah, I mean, not that that's a problem, now. but like you just jump into everything. And you kind of figure that out in your 30s. And now that I'm in my 40s, I'll meet someone and, like, immediately be like, oh, she's attractive. But then, like, oh, I, I just start seeing fucking red flags. What what were the latest red flags? I don't, I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to You <say>. know. <laughs> I'm starting to sweat. <laughs> well, you are wearing winter It's fucking jacket. cold outside. I don't know if I would like use 60... the F word about it. It's like it was like fifty nine degrees. No, you're right. Here. It was freezing today. Um, I enjoy it. But yeah, it's dating is. 
Why, and, why won't and you say also, the red flag? You're gonna run into her again? Yeah, maybe, probably. You're gonna da- you're gonna call her again? Is this from the swipey? No, no, it's not from oh, the okay. dating app. But like, also, I tend to like, I'll be into girls who are not into me at all. Is that I, true? I, I go right to friend zone very easily. Um, but also girls that will be into me, I'm not into. Like, there's also a weird thing where if a girl's into me, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with her? Right. I immediately think something's fucking wrong with them. Damn. What are we going to do with you? Do you go to therapy? Yeah. Doesn't help, huh? <laughs> therapy helped with my everything but my dating. It helped with my anxiety. My, I can fly again. There was a time when I didn't fly for like 10 years because I was terrified. For 10 years? Yeah, I was Shit, terrified man. because I had a panic attack on a plane. What about popping pills to get on a plane? I had a panic attack on a plane while I was on. I had taken two Valium and I no still had a way. panic attack. And so I would just, and by the way, I think the panic attack wasn't even associated with flying. It's just the fact that it happened on a plane. I immediately just associate or used to associate flying with panic attacks. Um, but now I fucking, I have no problem flying. And it took, I went to New York with Sarah, and I apologize if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I don't know if I have. I flew to New York to open for Sarah at the New York Comedy Festival, and it was one of the worst flights I've ever had in my life. Like, it was nauseating. Were you sitting next to her? No, I was by myself. Oh, oh, okay. and it was just like a really rough flight. She was already there. It was so bad that I got off the plane. I'm like, I have to figure out a way to get home. I, I Maybe I'll rent a car. I mean, it was winter. And then I came up with this, I'll, I'll take a train across country. I've never been on a train in my life. Oh, my God. And you find ways to justify it. Like, I have a script I'm working on. I'll get my own little car. Oh, my God. My own little room, my sleeper, and I'll write. It'll be, yeah. it'll be like Kerouac. Yeah. You, and you justify it any way you can. So I get on the train. Within 20 minutes, I'm fucking motion sick because I'm trying to read on my computer and the train is just rocking back and forth. (laughs) And I can't look at my computer screen anymore. So I spend the next 16 hours staring at the window, staring out the window at the scenery until I get to Chicago. I was so nauseated. I got to Chicago, spent a night there. The next morning I woke up and I got on a plane, flew back, and I have not had a problem since oh interesting i was like i would rather force yourself into a corner i'd rather deal with turbulence than three days of (laughs) motion sickness that's good though yeah you could have just been like i'm never traveling again yeah that happens to people i mean i think so that wasn't therapy at all (laughs) that was you no but i would on a train no but i would still be nervous i'd still fly i made myself fly but I so then what you get out of therapy, ways to notice going into it? Breathing stuff. Uh, I also found out that most of my problems with flying were I have control issues. It's the same reason you I think? don't like to be a passenger in a car is I don't feel like I'm in control. Like, I don't want to get in an accident, you know, at some idiot who's driving. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm on a plane. I have no fucking control. Right. Um. And then I just learned to deal with that and, and just give into it, and which is actually sensible. Yeah, you know, because it, it is weird to be on a plane. It's yeah. real weird. 
It's horrible. We're going to talk also, you back into having panic attacks. And I also have vertigo. I've suffered with vertigo for 25 years. And being inside a moving tube, it, it doesn't really help with your equilibrium, especially when it when you first take off and the plane banks and makes yeah. a hard like U-turn, basically, to fly east. You know, there's that. That makes me sick. That's, I got to go on a private jet. This is the only time. It never happened through well, no i guess i was on it was for 24 but it was it was me oh my gosh i don't remember anyone's name an actor from Kiefer. no no it wasn't anybody else from Dennis 24 Haysburg. but uh, people from other fox shows at the time but it was years ago oh, yeah. and there was like four actors i think they because i would agree to go and Kiefer would they couldn't get Kiefer type of situation yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was something for some car company where we got to fly on fox's private jet for a night my parents got to come in because it was in michigan and it was a super fancy dinner and um photos and just sort of a i don't know ultimately it was some kind of advertising thing for them but we got on this private jet and it's all these actors and like the person from fox like really fun people and like we're playing poker and i that was the first time where I had a panic attack and I didn't say anything to anybody or do anything because you're it's like you're embarrassed that you're having it too. That's part of the worst part of panic attacks. And I looked around at everyone having a good time and I just just that thing you just described of we're in a tube and because it was like a private jet, which should have I should have been having the time of my life, I was just like this is so fuck fucked up. Like I just felt everything uh, about it yeah, and, and the lack yeah. of control in this little tube in the sky and it's it's sort of as it's a it's a it's a it's real thing and, and being closed in the space it's yeah. just like real freaky it's the best part of therapy was actually figuring that out you know and then, then being able to treat it i mean i use antidepressants for anxiety more than depression but like i spent like 15 20 years dealing with panic attacks and not telling anybody about it like just sitting in a room and just my hands starting to shake and sweating. I had a girlfriend for like six years who had no that I lived with who had no idea that I had panic attacks. You know, she was always just That's like, sad. "Why are we always sitting uh-huh. near the exits?" You know, and like, you get really good at masking it and like covering it up. And then, yeah, once you fucking come to terms with it and treat it, and the best part is just telling people. Like I. I'll so go weird on any thing, podcast because... and be like, I have panic, I have panic attacks, I'm depressed. It's the best thing is just telling people because 80% of the people go, me too. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. How you can spend so much time torturing yourself because yeah. well, I'm it's, I'm supposed to be fine with this. Like this is supposed to be okay. Like why would you ever be just talking to yourself? My parents had no idea growing up and then uh, – it was when I moved to L.A. and I think I, I secretly said it to a friend of mine. I'm like, fuck, dude. I Sometimes I just get really hot and I start sweating and I like wherever I am, I have to just immediately leave. And he's like, yeah, that's a panic attack. He's like, I get those like every day. Oh, he, he did? Yeah. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, dude, go to therapy. You know, and then I start to talk to somebody else on set, hey, you know. You ever get this thing? They're like, yeah, all the time. And you're just like, woohoo! Everyone suffers. Everyone's miserable. It's great. No, it sucks. 
that your friends are miserable, but it's also awesome to know <laughs> to know that they're going through the same shit. Yeah, I don't. I think I've had it once or twice, enough to know the feeling of what it is. But it's the worst, and it manifests itself in so many different ways with me, like vertigo or. For years, like when I first started getting panic attacks, it would. You think ver- vertigo is part of it? Well, vertigo is a condition that's brought on by millions of different things. Stress. Like stress. Uh, these crystals in your inner, inner ear that come loose oh. that ca- that cause you to lose your balance. Like there's so much dehydration. There's so much stuff that can cause vertigo. But for me, for the first few years, it was. It, panic attacks manifest themselves in I couldn't swallow. Oh, Jesus. Like, I'd be in a movie theater, and all of a sudden, I just couldn't. And that's just a voluntary response. Like, that's one of those things you don't have to think about. Right. And all of a sudden, you're thinking of, it's all you're thinking about, and you can't swallow. And so you're just, like, spitting into a cup or, like, into a fucking napkin. And that I thought I had, like, throat cancer for years. It's like a teenager. <laughs> That's so severe. That's so messed up. So fucking messed up. You know, I would hear about panic attacks, and that was never something people ever talked about was not swallowing. That's awful. That's something I always hear about people who are on their deathbed, you know, with like MS or something, and they're like, they lose their muscle. So, uh, you know, for years I thought I had like MS or throat. Did you trace it back to a traumatic event? Yep. Okay. I mean... I know the exact moment really? my panic attack started. I was in military school, walking down the hallway in the dorm. Two of my friends were wrestling, just playing around, <laughs> fucking around. They were wrestling. And this is a military barrack, so, like, all the floors are just hard uh, wax. Like, you have to buff the floors uh-huh. and wax them. And all the walls are cinder block, painted green. So everything's green. These two guys are wrestling as I'm walking by. And they fall to the ground, and one of the guy hits his head on the corner of a doorway on a cinder block. His head fucking split wide open. And I can still, if I close my eyes, I can still see the pool of blood coming out from his head on the floor, his eyes rolling back. And I was like 17, and I think that was the moment where I was like, oh, we can fucking die at any minute. So what happened? Like as a, Did he I die? used to like drink and die. drive when I was a kid. Like right. I, you never think about the consequences, and that was when I saw a kid like go unconscious and like all the blood start leaving his body, and I was like, oh, it happens to kids too. And and after that, uh, like an hour later, we had to go to dinner, so we go down to the mess hall, and I was sitting at dinner and. I was eating my food, and all of a sudden, I couldn't swallow. That was the first time that it happened. Was that day, and it, I, I'm sure that's what caused it. So, what were you? What happened in after that moment? Did, were you standing there when they came and like got him? Yeah, and- yeah. People came, and uh, you know, the paramedics came and took him to the hospital, and he he got stitched up. He was fine. Did anybody? Did you talk to anybody about it? No. No, I didn't say anything to anybody. Sure. Why would you? Because um, I didn't think that was going to start off the worst experience of my fucking childhood and adult life. Like, it right. was going to affect me more than anything else in the world. So, 
you just kind of which which we all do this all the time you saw it and then you're like oh i saw that and you put it somewhere in your brain and then you were swallowing and you sort of never yeah it was then like it a, just went on and on it was like a delayed you, panic attack yeah to the fact and you that, never necessarily connected it even though you pro- probably you mentally were like wow that was pretty fucked up we're all going to die but you never processed it nope. in a way that you needed to it wasn't until therapy like decades later I was like, oh, yeah, there was this one time this happened. And she's like, "What? Else? well, then what happened? And I was like, well, I went to dinner and so it's, couldn't swallow. <laughs> she's like, there you go. I mean, I know nothing about this, but I'm just making this up. So in that moment, that's it was the trauma of seeing that. But you just sort of whatever defense mechanism you were like, nope, not going to experience. Oh, this. yeah. I immediately just moved it out of my brain. I walked. I mean, I stayed there with this kid until the paramedics were there, but I was just like, you know, I think it was also post-traumatic stress, you know, like it's not till after. I'm really good in a crisis. Like I pull over on the side of the road where I see, I've seen horrible car accidents and I jump out of my car to help people. And like, like I'm really focused when emergencies happen. It's just afterwards that I'm just like, uh can't sleep i'm like that was fucking horrible what i just saw you know um but yeah it's i mean that's really common in like war like you know yeah people are getting shot and you're just dealing with it it's you know a year later when you're at home right and you've yeah it's natural there is no way to deal with it there your brain goes like nope especially as a kid you're just like you think a panic attack is just a weakness or something. Right. You know, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm fucked up. You don't tell anyone. I didn't, didn't tell anybody about panic attacks for forever. My kid did something interesting this morning. This is not, I don't know, it's not directly related, but it popped into my head. Um, he's on spring break. And also I was gone for that 10 days. So he my... in Florida? <laughs> he's in <laughs> Daytona. <laughs> Hanging out with the babes, but he my he's been with my husband when I was gone for that ten days, so they've had a lot of uh, yeah. You know, it's been his dad every morning and um, candid. <laughs> and this this morning he runs in our bedroom, and Matt he always works early on Tuesdays, but I get my kids not thinking, oh, it's Tuesday when he wakes up. So he runs in, and then he's like, "Where's dad? Where's dad?" I go. Yeah, dad's at work already. And he was in a, he had all this energy and he was in good mood. And then he's like, oh, oh, mom, get out of here, mom. And he grabs the pillow and he goes, this is dad. Hey, dad. Good morning, dad. And he did that. It's almost <laughs> like that thing that you hear about, like that cliche, like carry around an egg for a week. Yeah, that yeah. Always makes it into storylines. Yeah. But where you are putting your feelings and he did it all morning and i've never seen him do anything like that he took the pillow out to tv he's like do you want breakfast dad <laughs> like dad's not stressed about work today it was so interesting because wow. i psychologically watched him treat this and he was laughing about it but it still was very sweet where he just immediately had that moment where he wished his dad was there and then was like oh my dad's this pillow yeah i, ca- I can't imagine having kids I don't think I'll ever have kids. <laughs> For real. Like, you straight up. You don't want up, your like, kid to act like you're a pillow one It would day? take, 
I mean, I, I've talked about this where it's like, it, I can't say I don't want kids, but like, I don't plan on it. If I met a girl who I was totally crazy in love with who wanted to have kids, then I probably would. And it would probably work out great and I'd probably love it. But like, oh, it seems fucking exhausting to me. Also, my aversion to f- human shit, like, <laughs> the stories I've heard have been like my friend Scott, who's like, we're going to go out. This was like a year or two ago. And he's he's like, I can't go out. I was giving my kid a bath and they took a shit in the bathtub. And I was like, whoa, they do that? And he's like, really? He goes, yeah, that happens all the time. And I told my other friends with kids and they're like, yeah, my kids shit in the bathtub all the time. I'm like, I, I can't have kids. Like, I honestly I'm like, don't think my kid ever shit in the bathtub. I'm like, like a hard poop and and. Scott was like, no, like fucking diarrhea. And I'm like, how do you clean that up? How do you clean that up? That's diarrhea. You have to like, I would have to leave my kid in the in the bathtub until they grew up enough to clean themselves up. Like, yeah. Clean I don't, it, baby. I don't like. Clean it, baby. I don't like Figure my own out. poop. I don't like going to the bathroom myself. Nobody does. Nobody does. Maybe and you should every, start with a pet. And everyone is like. Yeah, but it's your kid and you get used to it. I'm like, I don't think I can. It's similar to uh, you saying, I'm going to go on a train and this is going to be fine. And I'm going to avoid it. And then you go, wow, this is terrible. I guess I'm, no, it's not similar at all. But it just, <laughs> you would go to clean up the poop and you would be like, this is awful. And then you would just do it anyway. And then it would yeah. not be that big of a deal. Well, it's like the thing where I was saying where, get really focused and you have to fucking just deal with it. And yeah. Like I had a friend, my friend Jimmy in high school, we took my mom's Mercedes to a fucking, this was like right out of a, a 16 candles or something. We took my mom's Mercedes to a party, <laughs> me and my two friends. And on the drive back, he was drunk in the backseat and puked all over the back of my head, oh like projectile. Like there was a Idiotic. stencil of my body on the front oh of the car. God. And like normally, like puke is right up there with shit. For oh me. my like, god! I would have probably, in a normal circumstance, puke puked is myself. Worse for me. But like, I was so terrified that it was my mom's car. Yeah, of that, course. Like, I didn't. Yes. Give a, I didn't care that there was. You probably puke. had adrenaline and like fear. Oh, yeah, there was puke all over me, oh, and it god. was just. Yeah, I just still like focused, and we pulled the car over and cleaned it for an hour, and we got back in the car. And he did it again. He did it twice. Are you kidding me? No, for real. Puked on me twice. The second time I was furious. I was choking him while we were driving. I was like, you motherfucker. You motherfucker. And he's crying. I'm fucked up, man. Jesus. And then did you not have an aversion to puke after that? No, I still, I haven't puked since I was 18. Oh, God. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Almost. Did your mom notice the car? Something wrong with the car? No, I got up early the next morning. I think we pulled over again and cleaned it for like an hour. I got up early the next morning, took it and got it like detailed. And then years ago, you know, th- that thing where you like, when you're an adult, you can talk about anything with your parents. Right. I was driving with my dad <laughs> a couple years ago. And I'm like, hey, you remember the Mercedes you guys had? And he's like, yeah. I'm like. Did you guys ever know or figure out that, like, I took it out one night and, like, my friend puked in the Mercedes and he's like, 
he was laughing so hard that he could, <laughs> my dad was laughing so hard that he could barely breathe. And I was telling him, and that's the best when you can do that. And he didn't know? They didn't know? They didn't know. I wonder but if they, years, maybe I he forgot, see. like, they they probably thought each other washed the car, like, oh, it's it's detailed. Somebody for years, I would and then forgot about it. For years, I would see specks in the car of like where the acid from the puke like destroyed the leather, and I was like, like it looked like someone shook a can of soda and opened it all over the roof of the car. Horrible. (laughs) That's so gross. God. So yeah, I don't know if I'll have kids. (laughs) And there's also that thing of you know if you were a a horrible kid growing up and tough on your parents. Like they say, like it's very common that you'll have kids who are like. You, were you horrible this, and tough on your parents? Yeah. I mean, I got kicked out of two high schools oh, and sent to military school. And right. My brother was really rough. My brother was even worse than me. And he's going through a thing right now with his daughter who's like 16 or 17. And he's There's just certain like, things about f- my son. I have a harder time seeing myself. Or I, I just can't think of any quickly but it made me think of my husband Matt and my son where I've watched Matt really deal with him in this beautiful way because he recognizes it especially with a boy who's just like got this like anger or this energy and Matt can like instantly see himself in the kid so he knows how to talk to Val and not it's kind of cool because he was that way you know there's a bright side to that there's a silver lining to that cloud um, do you, are you still painting? No. Really? I just, I had a bunch of half done things in my garage and I finally just threw them out. Mary Lynn, for those who don't know, you went to, you got a degree in painting. I did, but I just. So did I, by the way. Did you know that? I think I did know that. I think we talked about that a long time ago, but I forgot about, do you still paint? No, I haven't painted since school. <laughs> I was the kind, I. I was horrible at it. You're a really good painter. I'm horrible. I've had my moments of being okay at it, but I was never really disciplined to dig into really what my thing was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just started performing and I I, just to sit there and paint, it kind of drives me nuts. And it also makes me more interior Uh and it presents me with a new set of creative problems. Yeah. And also, I get mad because I don't think people really care about it as much as they should or could. Or or maybe I'm just not interested in that world yeah. of the kind of people. I don't know. I just gravitated more towards. It's and also I think I needed weird... to be more outward with It's myself. a weird medium. Like, I mean. Like, it's not relaxing to me. It, it is, were, but it is. Painters were rock stars in, like, you know, the 1500s and, like. Yeah, now it Until seems like TV a whole... came along and and photography came along, painting was like yeah. I mean, even in the '60s, you know, with like the art scene in New York with Andy Warhol and Basquiat and oh, totally. Like these people were fucking rock stars, and now it's just like I you, you don't even know where a a gallery is any, yeah. <laughs> anymore. Although I got to say, I went to a, an art opening for uh, my friend Ellen Page. Her girlfriend is an artist. And um, like you can look on my Twitter, I I, I tweeted I about will. it. If you go back, she's got a show running right now. It's one of those galleries on like La Cienega. There's that whole little area. Her stuff's great. Oh, that's cool. I would but, like to see that. See, I I get excited every, and I don't. I barely go every time I go to a museum. 
I mean, sometimes it's touch and go because museums, it's always, you're just like, especially if I'm, you know, with Matt and Val, there are moments where it's great. Like yep. there's this moment of exaltation and then it's just like, oh, come on. Like you're waiting for the other person and it's, you know, just the people's vibes. What made you major in art? Were you actually just, excited about it when you were younger? Yeah, I was. I just, yeah. I mean, I, I, I only had interest in anything artistic. But it wasn't really valued or understood where I was growing up. So the message was just get some shitty job and do the best you can in life. And I didn't want to go to college and I didn't want to get a job. So I was like, yeah. I'll go to art school. I mean, it ended up being Same this magical, amazing experience mm -hmm. and really informed me just about des just basic stuff, you know, about design. Like, I didn't know what sculpture was. I didn't yeah. know. So that part was really fun for me. Yeah. But there was also the part of me where I just didn't want to do work, really. Yeah. So the actual study of it i kind of bailed out it was i mean for me it was like i didn't just didn't know what else to do i'd gotten out of high school all my friends were going to college but they were going to college to be like doctors and i knew i didn't well, want my, to be a doctor. I had the same thing my two best friends were like i'm going to u of m on a scholarship i'm going to this great school and i was like oh i forgot to try or no yeah i, I just this. wanted to be an actor or a comedian but like i grew up in this like christian world where like that just was i didn't no one in my family did that i didn't know anybody i i didn't know how to do it and then so i figured after high school i i'd be a biology major because i wanted i grew up scuba diving and around the ocean cool. a lot and so i was like maybe if i take biology i can be a marine biologist and in my first semester i failed biology so hard i was just like I was like, what is this cell shit and, like, these amoebas? Like, I don't get it, and I, I just couldn't grasp it. And so I went undecided for another semester, and then my friend Sam was like, dude, just be an art major. He was a photography major, and he's, he's, he wasn't still is a very good photographer, but he's like, just be an art major. He's like, you, he's like I know you draw and doodle and stuff, and I was like, so I f honestly feel like I faked my way through art school, like, because you know you paint and stuff, and it was all abstract for me. Because I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I can I can draw, but it it takes a long time, and I don't have that kind of patience. So I just do abstract painting, and then I just sit and lie to a whole class full of people and be like, "Tell us about this painting, Steve." <laughs> and I was just fucking, and that's how I I've got that probably into improvising and <laughs> acting because I'm just fucking lying to these people, and uh, and then I got a degree in painting, and I like. I'm a horrible painter. You're not. I I went to one of your shows. Tig and I went to one of your shows like I years ago. I that. I don't, I don't know if I believe you that you're a horrible painter. I'd like to see some of your paintings. I'll show you some of my paintings. All right. And you'll be like, Lou, <laughs> thanks for showing me these. Uh, but you went to, where did you go to school? I went in Detroit and then I finished in San Francisco. How did you love San Francisco? Oh my God. It was the best. I mean, uh, San Francisco, though, is where I bailed on my art studies. Here's why. Because it was a small school. It's expensive to go to school there. It's expensive to live there. Like, you're barely surviving. Is the Art Institute? Yes. And so then you're expected to buy canvases and buy paints and make something that no one cares about. And then there wasn't even places to store them. what do you them. do with remember, all that shit? Yeah. I remember there'd be lockers. And I'm like, wait. 
what? I go into this painting room and have these really stale conversations and people just posturing like they're so great. And then I have to take my thing and put it here. And like, I just started going to, I started getting really into performance art. And, but even that, I mean, those classes were really fun and interesting and weird. But then I started going to open mics in town. Yeah. And that like, I mean, I, I did love that art school, but I started getting really impatient with it. And just the city itself was like so magical to me. And I would just go to bars to like open mic poetry readings and riding the bus and walking did around. Did you meet like, any of those, it. you know, like Patton or Blaine yeah, or I, up there? Yeah, that, there was a place called the Above Brainwash. There was the Brainwash Cafe where it was like a laundromat. I think it's still there. Yeah. Laundromat Cafe. And they had a little room upstairs. Oh, and cool. um do you know a guy named Harmon Leon? He no. used to have dreadlocks. He was a San Francisco dude. And and Blaine was one of the first people I saw. Ron Lynch was there. Patton was there not full time, but I Brian. remember seeing him. Uh, Jeremy Kramer. Um, Greg. Was Greg up there then? Every Fair. once in a while. Laura Milligan was there. Laura yeah. did a uh, – she was a duo with Jerry Finelli. Uh-huh. And they would do uh, – for a while, they had, they had a weekly show. Laura was my upstairs neighbor in L.A. in uh, 90, like 97 or 98. The, no the apartment's way. right across from the Gelson's on Franklin. Yeah. Did you ever go to her apartment there? No, but Karen Kilgariff used to live over there. And I knew Laura when she lived in the house on Curson. Was that before or after the apartment? It must have been after. I moved into this place. It was like 98 probably. and. Because didn't Laura live with And Greg? I recognized her from Mr. Show, and I was like, oh, I think you're very funny. And I oh, mean, she lived cool. directly above me, and she drove around this spray-painted, like, Volvo that apparently a bunch of people had Oh, yeah, that was before. David Cross's car. Yeah. Did she get that apartment before or after the house? Do you remember that house? No. I didn't know any of God, you people back then. I just, I was like, oh, she's on Mr. Show. I thought it was Greg and Laura. Or Margaret Cho was in and out of there. I don't know if she actually lived there. But I saw her like a couple years ago. I hadn't seen really? Laura since then. And she was, I think, show running the show A to Z. Or she was a writer on the show A to Z like a year or two ago. Who? Are, no, you're it not was, talking about Laura Milligan. Yeah, Laura Milligan. And it was. She's show I think, running a show? I think Rashida Jones created the show. And Laura was a writer on it. I know no, she was at least a writer on the show. Not Laura Milligan. Yes. Laura Milligan lives in Northern California. Oh, no, no, no. no. I'm, oh, fuck. Who Laura Keitlinger? No, Teresa. Teresa Mulligan. Mulligan. Oh, you son of a bitch. Sorry. I just I'm went r- down a crazy road. I I'm was like, way Laura off. doesn't even live here anymore. No, Teresa. I know Teresa Mulligan as well. Yeah. Okay, now Teresa lived sense. upstairs for everything me. Everything makes sense drove, to me now. Drove David's old car. Oh, that's right. And then was riding on... Uh, God, you just tripped me out because I was like, I don't remember Laura having David's car. And I don't remember her. I, I don't know why I would never have been at that apartment. Milligan, Mulligan. Because I hung out with her all the time. Yeah. A couple of ladies. A couple of funny gals. Um, Yeah. I, I probably. When I met Teresa, she was dating Jay. And she had moved here. And he was already here. And she must have gotten that car. It was probably right around that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, then I saw her at funny. that show. They cast me on that show, A to Z, and I saw her. And she does not, did not remember me being her downstairs neighbor really? at all. Because I was only there a short time because my girlfriend had broken up with me, so I had to find a new place to live. But You were living with your girlfriend there? Yeah. 
we had moved down, we had moved to Oregon and then moved back and we moved into that place. And, uh, I didn't meet you until the mid 2000s. Right. How did I not know you in 2000? Nobody knew me in. Really? I think I met Sarah in like 99 or 2000. Really? And we just used to get high all the time. And Sarah drove a Toyota Corolla. Corolla? Yeah. White? That no. It was, I think it was white. And then not long after I had met her, we got really stoned. And she's like, I want to paint my car. <laughs> and it was probably David's car that made her want to do that. So she's like, no, no. She's like, we'll go buy sandpaper and spray paint. Oh, no. That's hilarious. And so we started, we got really high and started to sand her car and did a quarter of the car. And we we're just both like, this is too much work. And so we spray painted the one quarter of the car and she drove it around for years <laughs> like that, like yellow and black, <laughs> not even cool. And then, uh, yeah, we were, I Sarah and I, I were like, that we were like inseparable. And then, uh, and then she cast me on her show along with everyone else that she knew in the world. That's the best. But I think I met you in a green room somewhere, probably yeah. UCB or something. Yeah. You're one of those people that I don't remember meeting. I have all these friends that I'm like, when did we no, meet? Yeah, same. Because I feel like then I would just, oh, it's it's Steve. Like there was never, it was just like you. then you were Oh, there. I do know when we met. What? Where? And we've talked about this. We have? Oh, geez. We did a, a staged reading together that Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub wrote. Oh, yeah. I have very well, Jeff Dav- memory of that. Jeff Davis was yep. in it. And you were like Jeff Davis's love interest. Jeff Davis was like a jewel thief. Remember? It was called like yeah. Oblique, I think it was called. Yes. You have a much better memory of that than I do. And I think we did the reading at, uh, I want to say, where the new Largo is now. Yeah. I was just picturing that. I was picturing a, the stage. At the coronet. Yes, that's right. It was the coronet. Yeah. That's where we did the reading. And um that that's when I met you. Nice one. But that Smooth was Smooth moves. That was really brief. I remember yeah, there were a we lot didn't of problems. Yeah. There were a lot of problems. I remember something broke down and Dana Gould just took a mic and just started talking to the audience. At that reading? Yeah. Maybe that's why I blocked it out. A projector broke or something. Oh. And so Dana just started riffing for like half an hour. <laughs> Yeah. So my guest today is Mary Lynn Ricecup. <laughs> Smooth moves. What's the, where? I have to wrap it up soon because I got to go to an audition. But where where uh, where where's Ricecup come Czechoslovakian. from? It's not my fault. Did you ever think about changing it for like No, because I was already working because I didn't even think that I could do this for a living. And then by the time I was doing it, I was like, oh, had I known, I would have changed it. Really? Yeah. I people mean, usually I like only... my name because it's my name, but I don't really like it. I feel like people in like TV usually only change their names when they go to join SAG and it's like somebody already has that uh, name. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, maybe I'm lying because people really only changed their names like in the 50s if it sounded too too Jewish. Is it because of the blacklisting? Yeah. Really? What about any other ethnicity? Uh, people were getting 
No, talk the, about the it. blacklisting was it. because of communism, not right. ju- Judaism. What the fuck am I talking about? And I let you say it. You're but like, I, yeah, but go no, ahead. my line of reasoning was like, don't didn't people just want to sound more like white and milk toast? Yeah, they didn't and want like to sound have like... a fancy name that sounds like a nightclub. Or they something. didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mary Lynn Coronet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's make a fucking tour happen. I would like that. After, now after Edinburgh. Yeah, okay. Edinburgh. I Edinburgh. like it. I'm down Edinburgh. for that. Edinburgh. You're, I, you're so right. It's spelled Edinburgh, but I've only ever heard it pronounced Edinburgh. I'll find out when I get there and report back. Um, yeah, but good luck with that. I Thank hope you. it's really fun. It'll probably be awesome. And thanks for doing it. We've been trying to get make this happen for a I long know. time. I know. I'm going to miss you when I leave. It's always nice well, to talk to you. I'm always an Instagram away. <laughs> <laughs> always a Snapchat and a Google map away. Ugh. All right. Thanks, Mary Lynn. Thanks, Steve. Bye, everybody. See you later. <laughs> Feral Audio. Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.